Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Kim and I are here every week to discuss everything we find in the wine world with you. How are you, Kim? I'm doing well, Mark. We uh, haven't spoken for a little while. We both had some vacations, so it's been nice getting back together with you to talk about wine. Yeah, it's time to catch up on some wine things here, Kim. We have we always have a bunch of stuff to discuss, and today I I think there's an article. I have a lot of questions for you to to follow up on, and the first one is, what is your Chardonnay, which was in Food and Wine, America's favorite but most misunderstood variety? What do you think, Kim? It, it's I think we've talked Chardonnay in a while, but I think there's a lot to tell our listeners about. What do you think? There is, absolutely. And I think that this was actually a really well-written, thought-provoking, brought up a lot of great points. So really the premise of this article is that, you know, Chardonnay is extremely popular, the most popular white wine for Americans to drink. And yet some people say they don't like Chardonnay until they maybe get some in their glass and are like, oh, I really like this. <laughs> and kind of describe this grape variety as a little bit of a chameleon because it can take on a lot of different characteristics based on the climate where it's grown, what the winemaker decides to do with it. And I think that that really has become the way to think about it is not that, oh, Chardonnay will always be this way, that there are so many different styles out there. There are different characteristics to the wine, depending again on where it's grown and how it's made. And I feel like it's a grape variety that can make a style for everyone. You know, it might not be the same style, you know, think of like five different styles of white wine, but I think that it can make something for everybody. All of that is why it is so misunderstood. There's just so yeah. much to it. And our listeners probably heard the term ABC when they talk about Chardonnay and they say anything, anything but Chardonnay, but right? <laughs> it's going around for the longest time. You mentioned how it can be grown anywhere and it's It'd be different wherever it's grown. It can show different styles. It's an international uh, varietal, which means it can grow anywhere, but it tastes And pretty different. much is. Yeah. It, I mean, it's everywhere. And the key, like you said earlier, for me, is that there's just so many different styles. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it's the white version of Merlot. It's the safe thing for people to order when they want a wine. Give me a Chardonnay for a white. Give me a Merlot for a red because it seems like everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. But it's not that simple because you can say, give me a Chardonnay, but you don't know what style you're getting. Like you said, there's so many different styles, so many different uh, tastes depending on where it's from in the world. So how do we describe or explain this to, to listeners, Kim, of what should they seek out and what differences should they be aware of? Well, I, th I think this is one of those wines that will benefit from having a little bit of a, a description on either the back of the wine label or a knowledgeable person to speak to when you are buying a bottle of Chardonnay or when you are ordering one at a restaurant or doing any of those things. Because like you said, you can't even necessarily re rely on 
the part of the world that it comes from because you can have some, say, California Chardonnays that are big and creamy and oaky and buttery, but then there are some other ones that really aren't. So having just a little bit of a descriptor term for whatever particular Chardonnay you are interested in, I think is key. Yeah. What about, you mentioned styles. Let's just go through a couple of things. You mentioned a fruity and oaky, there's buttery, there's creamy. Any other that just one word type descriptors for Chardonnay that you can think of? Um, yeah, we need a description for Chablis. Stony, yeah, mineral, minerally, stony, maybe yeah. minerally works for that. Yeah, more crisp, maybe more, yeah. more acid. So I think over the years in the past, the real oaky Chardonnays were popular. Mm-hmm. And it, oak meaning it could be real oak or it could be fake oak. We always discuss that. But is it still the most popular white wine, you think, out there? Chardonnay itself or oaky yeah, Chardonnay? No, Chardonnay itself. Um, I mean, when we look at numbers and when we look at, you know, polling data and things like that for certain wines, it certainly seems that that is the case, that Chardonnay is still wildly popular. And do you feel people are still seeking out that oaky the oak bomb style Chardonnay, or has that trend kind of changed lately? I think that has changed a little bit, but I think that people are still looking for the creaminess. And that was part of this article that was particularly well-written was how to differentiate these two terms, which can come across as different flavors and different textures um, arrive in completely different production methods. They t- the oak, that spice, sometimes uh, like a coconutty kind of flavor. And then there's the butteriness, the creaminess. And first comes from oak barrels. The second comes from the secondary fermentation technique called malolactic fermentation, which works on the acid of the wine and softens it and really does change the feel of the wine in your mouth from something a little more crisp, a little more tart to something that is creamier and softer and will often give that buttery flavor that a lot of people will associate with buttered popcorn <laughs> like at the movie theater. And right. then I, I think that that description uh, is is completely spot on. So sometimes it's difficult to figure out, well, do you like the oakiness or do you like the butteriness? Because I feel like for people who don't necessarily know which words to use for which experience they're having, sometimes they kind of blend together. So that that I think is part of the hard part of trying to figure out, well, what do you like about this particular Chardonnay is just finding the right words to use to describe what you're experiencing. And you mentioned the labels early on, seek out help on the labels to figure out that style, the Chardonnay. And that is a perfect thing that the wineries are doing now. If you see butter, bread and butter, anything to do with saying like that, you can assume Mm -hmm. it's a creamy. Anything with butter in the name. And there are so many of them, which on the one hand is, I think, a little, maybe a little cheesy. I don't know. But on the other hand, it's really smart marketing. Yeah. And it's helpful. It's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I I don't feel like you're going to see really high end wines with labels like that, but it is really helpful for getting across to the consumer what this wine is all about. It's always an adventure when you open up a Chardonnay and it really doesn't have anything on the label. Then right away, you know, when you first smell the aroma, you know, if you have a fruity, if you know you have Mm -hmm. a oaky. Lately, I've just kind of turned off by all these oaky and it's not so much the real oaked 
wines as much as the fake oak yeah. wines that it just tastes like sawdust. It doesn't yeah. have any like those nice flavors you were mentioning earlier, like vanilla or a toasty. It's just it makes you. I mean, it makes me kind of sick to my stomach when I when I have them. It's not enjoyable for me. It's 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 fun, kind of funny that you mentioned that sort of that sawdusty profile, <laughs> for lack of a better word, because I don't tend to get that in whites, but I often will pick that up in like a less expensive red wine. Right. You know, yeah. obviously used some other sort of technique to get that oaky flavor uh, into their wine. And you mentioned creaminess, which I'm so happy you really focused a lot on that because my kind of go-to recommendation for people is they, they say, I need a Chardonnay. I'm having people come over and I'll say, okay, I don't want to recommend to you a non-oak shard because you're not going to satisfy the people who like oaky shard. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to recommend an oaky shard because you're not going to satisfy the people who like fruit in their Chardonnay. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend a creamy Chardonnay because it, it kind of suits both palates. Would you would you agree with that? I, I would, especially one that that is less on the oaky side. And I feel like the, that textural element that you get from those Chardonnays that have that malolactic fermentation to them, I feel like it is beneficial to the wine as just really going well with this particular grape variety. I just feel like Chardonnay takes to that malolactic fermentation with that getting that extra little bit of creaminess in there. I think it just, it works really well with that grape. Yeah. That, that was good. very convoluted, but, <laughs> but no, no, the meant. texture was a great point because that really matters when you're pairing with food. If you just want an un oak shot, mm -hmm. you, there's be dishes that would just overpower that. But if you have a nice creamy, it has more texture, more body, it goes with heavier foods. Or Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, getting back to your restaurant days, Kim, when you're looking at Chardonnays by the glass for pouring, what do you seek for styles? Do you seek multiple styles, like a, a fruity and an oaky, or do you seek that, once again, that creaminess, that, that right in the middle style? We would go both. We would have, just because it's such a popular grape variety, it felt like it was an important thing to have multiple styles of on the list so that people could then choose which style they liked the best. Although I have to say from a restaurant perspective, and maybe it was just because we were a seafood restaurant, but Sauvignon Blanc was starting to overtake Chardonnay as far as the white wine by the glass or the white wine that we would sell the most of. And maybe it was just because it went better with the food, but I can think of lots of our seafood dishes that did pair particularly well with that creamier style of Chardonnay, you know, something, anything with like a, a butter and breadcrumb topping or, you know, a, a light cream sauce, you know, all of those things really pair very, very nicely with this style of Chardonnay with that other little bit of creaminess to it. I see in retail where the trend has been people going away from Chardonnay. My, my Chardonnay displays are getting smaller, but like you said, my Sauvignon Blanc, my Pinot Grigio, those are expanding. So every year I kind of watch and see what to buy less of and oaky shots in that $40 range. Those are going down and it's more mm. of that creamy between 15 and 20 that have really taken off. And the other point I want to make on your restaurant thing, Kim, was I never understand. I heard listeners tell me how to understand this. When you can just go in a restaurant and say, just give me a shot in it. How can people do that? How how can wine drinkers do that and trust that the Chardonnay you have by the glass is your style? I don't understand how that happened. I wonder if you know, it's that you a gave lot a good of... example. I wonder if that it's a lot, that a lot of wine drinkers just don't understand that there are multiple styles, that maybe they're 
so used to that particular oaky, creamy it, California style that that is just what they will anticipate that they will be getting. And, yeah, and then they're and probably I think it, going that, to be disappointed, uh, though, that they get the opposite style. If the house wine is an unoaked Chardonnay and they like oak, they're going to think the wine they got is bad and maybe because they don't understand but I think that styles. a lot of people, especially in restaurants, understand that when people ask for a glass of Chardonnay, we expect that that is the style that they want. At least yeah. that's what I've done in the past. And maybe I'm doing a disservice to the people that I'm pouring for. But I kind of take it for granted that that's the style that they're looking for. Well, you if giving options, that's the best service to say, you know, ask what your style is. So, I mean, when. I guess the point to the listeners, if you like a certain style, when you order it or go shopping for it, make sure you tell them the style or the brand you're drinking so they can then help you. Yeah, I think that's actually out that's close. a brilliant recommendation about the importance of just knowing a little bit about what you like. So if you have a particular brand of Chardonnay that you ordinarily drink and you want to try something new, then just knowing the name of the one that you usually like and then telling that to the person who is helping you, if they know their wines and they know different brands, then they are instantly going to know what that style is and then be able to find you something that fits that flavor profile and that you will also like. Yeah. Now, Food and Wine came in the article, mentioned top Chardonnay regions in the world. And you mentioned Burgundy as one. They also mentioned Sonoma, California. Mm -hmm. What did you think about Willamette, Oregon? Up and coming for Chardonnay. So you think Um, they just threw that in there because trending? um, Because I feel like in the last few years, we are seeing not that big butter bomb, oaky, oaky bomb of a a Chardonnay style coming out of Oregon. I've definitely seen more of the unoaked ones, a lot of stainless steel fermentation, more of that crisp, cooler climate fruit, kind of that apple minerally, but then still with that nice creamy texture that doesn't hit you over the head with that buttered popcorn thing, but just enough of the malolactic to round out the edges and to make it a little more softer and a little more appealing. So I've definitely run across quite a few from Oregon of that style. What about, they mentioned the Margaret River Valley in Australia. Have you seen a decline in Australian shards? I have actually. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't bring up Chile. Because we do see some nice, also cool, both some cooler climate, but also some warmer climate Chardonnay from Chile and and great value. And like we were saying before, you know, lots of different styles. Yeah. And a lot of the California producers are sourcing fruit from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, Burgundy, they didn't, they mentioned Burgundy, but it also includes Chablis. And my recommendation to people would be explore Chablis and explore Sonoma to get like a style difference mm-hmm. and explore the grape a little a little better. And yeah, you- I feel like Chablis can be a tough recommendation because it can be that polar opposite of Right, it's a drastic Napa. difference. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Like to the point that I think when a lot of people taste it, they don't even realize that it's Chardonnay. <laughs> like even right. if you tell them it is, like it's just conceptually so different <laughs> than what a lot of people have for their expectations of what a Chardonnay will taste like. And I don't think they mentioned any sparkling, did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of shocked. I mean, you can also obviously explore Chardonnay in a sparkling form in some of the greatest forms. And it wasn't mentioned at all. So no. But I mean, maybe because those tend to be 
blends and it is a little bit harder to get your hands on a Blanc de Blanc or yeah, something they from, it out there. from they California. Said, they should have. Yeah. In a sparkling form, seek out a Blanc de Blanc. Easier to find all... than Margaret River, right, <laughs> Australia, right, honestly. Right, yeah. But that could just be our market. I don't know. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine, everyone. We just finished talking about Chardonnay, and we're actually going to pivot a little bit and talk about something that Chardonnay actually pairs particularly well with, which is potato chips. Who ever thought about pairing potato chips and wine? Hmm? Yeah, now we're talking my food pairing. Language. That's right. <laughs> Snacks. Snacks. I always wanted food. to do this as an event. I always see Pringles and infographics like pairing yeah. wine and Pringles. And there's so many different flavors of chips that it, it makes you think about how to pair it with wine and what to pair with. Haven't and we done a potato a, chip and wine pairing? We kind of did as a food thing, but not totally just chips. It wasn't just chips. You know? Okay. So it has to be more focused on all chips. <laughs> and this was a wine enthusiast article that they mentioned there's 8.3 billion in sales for potato chips every year. People and like I'm their huge, chips. I'm a huge chip fan. Lately, more yeah. the baked to be more healthy. What about you, Kim? You have a favorite chip you like? Um, I'm pretty much a purist when it comes to potato chips, but I have to say I like I like the kind that have like the extra little bit of time on them. So they're a little browner, like a yeah, good yeah. bag of Cape Cod yeah. potato chips. Um, I also yeah. like sweet potato chips, which was not mentioned in this article, although they did talk about flavors a lot. And salt and vinegar is big uh, favorite in my house. My children absolutely love salt and, salt and vinegar chips. Well, let's start with that one. So for salt and vinegar, they mentioned something I'm sure our listeners would never think of pairing with it. Think of it easy either, but I thought it was a really inspired pairing choice, honestly. Just strange. Strange. Not not strange. Not strange at all. So the (laughs) wine that they chose was Assyrtiko, which is a white wine from the Greek islands. And it made me think, oh, yeah, of course, because what you're doing is you're matching the salt on the chip and the saltiness in the wine, because Assyrtico is one of those grape varieties like Muscadet, like Vermentino from Sardinia that will often, people will say, has this flavor or aroma that's reminiscent of sea salt, of what the beach smells like, those kind of aromas. So I thought that this uh, pairing made sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I love the, the salinity pairing, the salt and vinegar work. Works perfect, and and for me, Vermentino is is a perfect pairing. And yeah, I was so also any thinking, of those. yeah, and I was also thinking maybe something that's a little bit oxidized in a good way that would work with that. For some reason, I was thinking the vinegar playing on some oxidation in a wine, but I couldn't you, really think. So, were you a, thinking like like a sherry, like a dry sherry? Yeah, I mean, a dessert might really overpower it, but. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I had that note that I was thinking, find something oxidized to try with yeah. salt and vinegar. But Well, maybe a dry sherry so that you don't have to worry about the sugar. Yeah, that definitely works. I like more the Italian angle yeah. with the salinity and the minerality type of thing, I think works really well. See, Italian wine can go with anything, even yeah. potato chips. Yeah. 
So you mentioned the classic chip and they, the classic chip was right up your alley with the pairing in this article. Yeah, too. the classic pairing for regular old potato chips is champagne. Bubbly, bubbly, sparkling, anything. Oh, they with did. Yeah, acid. They, specific, they specifically yeah. said champagne, but it doesn't have but to any, be. But any wine that has high acidity, I feel white or red that's light in body works great with this, mm -hmm. right? Because the old acid helps with the salt, right? Yep, completely agree. And it's, there's also this really nice textural thing that goes on with the bubbles in the wine and the slight greasiness of the chips. The bubbly really cuts through the fattiness really well. And that pairing of sparkling wine with high fat foods is another one of those sort of classic matches. So we play off of that with this as well. And that's a great description of a classic chip, the greasiness. Kind of a little bit greasy, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, you put it on a paper towel and it's just leaving a stain there when you pick <laughs> it up. Great description. And you, you mentioned, again, we have to hit this. Well, I would, I, this is fresh in my mind here, texture. And you mentioned earlier ridges, like the ridge chips, the texture chips. Do you feel you should play more with the texture of the wine, with the textured chip versus... Mm a non-textured chip. So for instance, a rigid, original, plain, classic chip, would you go with something a little heavier with acid because it has more texture to it? Um, I, not necessarily, because I, I think it, the crunch for me is the important thing. So yeah. as long as it has the the crunchiness, that for me is, what's, is what matters. In the acid, in the mm -hmm. wine. To, mm -hmm. oh, okay. The fat, the crunch, the acid. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So next they mentioned a spicy chip. And I think a great pairing suggestion, which is Riesling. What'd you think of that? Yes. Because it was Riesling with like buffalo flavored chip, right? Right. But Spice. there certainly are a, a lot of very uh, unique and creative potato chip flavors out there. There's those like sriracha potato chips. Oh, yeah. And, they get those you know, flaming uh, hot Curry things. potato chips. Yeah. So all sorts of fun stuff like that. And Riesling is my go-to for anything with spice as long-term listeners of this show will remember. So that one's a no-brainer for me. But I, I think that there are other things that, that you also could match with that. Um, it doesn't have to be something with sweetness. You, know, you can play up that spiciness. So if it were to be back to that, I guess, buffalo there are other white wines that would go with well with that. I, I think that a nice rich Pinot Gris would actually go pretty nicely. Some people might want to do something like a Gewürztraminer that also has a spice note. So kind of do the complementary spice with spice. But this is a, a fun sort of mix and match. And, uh, and I think that there are probably more right answers than, uh, than wrong answers. Yeah. And I, I just don't enjoy those hot, hot chips. I don't know. Something about it. No, you don't like really spicy stuff. So. No, it's just, no. I don't know. If I have to guzzle a thing of Riesling to kill the spice <laughs> in my mouth, it's, it's no fun. But the spice chip works great into the the next chip, which is barbecue, which is- I was going to go there next. Yep. Which I, I know that you really like barbecue and, and I know what you like to pair with barbecue. So they seemed to have uh, hit the nail on the head with this one for you. Their recommendation for a barbecue potato chip was to match it with a Grenache-based wine. Yeah, and like you were saying with the spicy chip and the Riesling, there's so many directions you can go with barbecue, I feel, with playing on the spice. So mm -hmm. again, almost the same options as the spicy chip, I feel, is the barbecue chip because the Grenache, I feel, would work with the spicy chip too. Yeah, 
you know, some nice fruit would work, I think, and Mm -hmm. kind of hold up to the spice. So Yeah. And you can go the spice route or you can go that fruity route. So there are good options. They didn't. This is making me hungry for potato chips now. Now I feel like I I need to do uh, need to do my own bit of experimenting, I think. They they mentioned sour cream. They didn't say sour cream and onion, though. Did they? It was just Yeah, they did. They did say sour cream and onion. They said onion went to, oh, mm-hmm. I just saw it with sour cream. So they were saying Chenin, Chenin Blanc, which I think is nice. A- any other things you would pair with the sour cream and onion chip? This is another one that I would go back to those German or Alsatian yeah. grape varieties because it made me think of classic Alsatian dishes that you might use sour cream or there's that really traditional onion tart that they make in Alsace, which pairs really, really well with with the richer white wines of the region. And so that was where my imagination went with sour cream and onion. Yeah. So so I think that anything like that would, would be a really nice match. I don't know. I was trying to think of the onion thing, something more maybe herbal or something for some reason, Ooh. or something maybe vegetal. I was thinking like a Chilean, maybe Sablanc or something that has that little, I don't know, something, even a red from Chile with a little green pepper or something to it. Like a carmenere or something like that? Something to bring out a little the onion with something else type of thing. I didn't think to go the vegetal route, but I think that could probably work too. Neat. I had a note. I forgot to say about the classic chip too, Kim, based on the oily. When I brought the whole oily point, I missed my point I wanted to make with the wine on the Back to the classic chip, mm-hmm. the oiliness with the Tarantes, because it has a little bit of acid, but it has almost that oily texture. Oh, interesting. And I was playing on the oil. So you don't I think forgot, that would be I too forgot. much? Because, you know, I the know, reason has, why it, I like the bubbles with it, is because, because it cuts through the greasiness. But you yeah, want to play see, it up a little bit. I want to play it up. Yeah, make it, mm. make it uh, play on the grease. But I forgot to mention it. Hmm. So cool. anyway, let's go on to the next kind of weird one that I've, I've never seen, but I'm sure you have is they said a shrimp seafood chip, seafood chips. I think these are a little more yeah. common. You can find them in Asian markets. Um, and, and I did like their their pairing, but I have seen these, but not in regular old stop and shop. So they said rosé, which yep. rosé goes with a lot. Pink with pink. Match your pinks. There you go. I knew you were going to bring up that point. <laughs> I was also thinking Saab Blanc, something that has acid. Sure. It also goes with seafood, yep. you know, playing on the seafood thing. Pinot Grigio uh, would probably be be a nice match with this one as well. Any chips not mentioned you thought would be good with wine? Hmm. What is not mentioned? I mean, these are just a few flavors. Oh, one of our newfound favorites uh, in our family is dill pickle potato chips. Oh, yeah. Which have been very popular. And um, I have to say that I have run across a few wines that have that herbal element to them that can definitely remind you of dill to the point that people are like, I taste pickles in my wine like oh well what your <laughs> what your brain is translating as pickles mine is translating as dill so that could totally be a match yeah that's interesting i i was looking for the hunt i might one of my favorite chips is the honey barbecue they mentioned barbecue but they didn't honey mention barbecue. the honey barbecue who makes chips? a honey barbecue potato chip it's uh who's the owl wise okay. i love those Ooh, they're really good and they're good. greasy so it's a good <laughs> thing the honey is sweet Right. But I was thinking, stick with the sweetness and maybe something with botrytis or a late harvest. You could go with like a late mm. harvest Riesling to play, 
to bring something out of the honey part of it, but you could also do something to bring out the barbecue part of it. Sure. So it's one of those chips where like the sour cream and onion where you could go one way or the other. So, but uh, I want to do this with Pringles because I think Pringles has the things where you can they stack have a different them. texture. Yeah. Oh, oh wait, and you flavors, can mix the flavors. That yeah, one? because you could put a classic and pair it and then you could put the classic with like barbecue and it makes whatever, you know, they have all these things where you can stack them to different uh-huh. flavors <laughs> and they have pizza flavored. You could you could just go crazy with the Pringles and wine tasting. Doesn't we'll that do sound that. fun, huh? Yeah, and they're all in the tube nice and neat. So <laughs> you don't have to push the bags around. Anything else on chips and wine, tater chips? Just I like the comment at the end of this article where it's like, don't please don't take this too seriously. You know, this is fun. And and I think that that is honestly how people should be approaching food and wine pairings, regardless that food is a pleasure and wine is a pleasure and snack foods in particular are a pleasure. And uh, and that this is, the, I think, the kind of thing that you get more out of it if you don't take it too seriously and you just allow yourself to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, have fun. And by doing little things like this, it helps you with other pairing other foods, too, mm-hmm. I feel. So, yeah, good point. Cool. This was fun. Now I'm, I want to like go out and get a bunch of potato chips potato and chips. open some wine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you want more information about Kim, you can go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, also on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are on Twitter at Wine Education. Cheers. Cheers.